This week, we step back into the Hometown History series. If you're unaware of these episodes, and this is your first experience of history through the lens of the Ebone Zone, every once in a while, I invite my good friend Charles Reese on the show to discuss the ins and outs of past and present Wilkes County, where we both call home. And that's exactly what's going on in this week's episode. I'm ready if you are. Let's jump in. Welcome once again to the Ebone Zone. I invite you to sit back, relax, and listen for the 290th time. The Road to 300 continues on this Friday, June 24th, 2022. I hope you enjoy this week's episode, Hometown History, Family Times. How have you been, man? I've been good. I've been good. Working away um, up here in Jackson County, uh, doing some archaeological work, actually, for the past few weeks. We have been excavating a Cherokee town in Macon County, and it's called Watauga Town, and it has a, a really long history. We've been excavating to understand the people who live there, exactly what was there in order to dive deeper into the past. I mean, archaeological work, it can be backbreaking at times. You know, once you excavate a pit and you see a post hole from where a house used to be, I think that's my my favorite part because you kind of, I don't know, connect. This is where people used to live. This is where families lived for generations. Um, and it's been incredible work, you know, how they built things, why they decided to put things in certain places. It's wonderful. And speaking of history, we have the subject of today's episode, a huge undertaking for you, because I know that the last time you were over here, you were still working on what our topic is today, but now it's finally finished. I kind of just had to reach a stopping point. I've been uh, researching the Harris Chavis family who lived in Wilkes County, uh, you know, starting in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And uh, I've been going through their their family history uh, um, in the county and also, um, you know, throughout the state and and getting a better understanding about um, how important that family is for our area. So it's been an enormous task, but it's been pretty fulfilling. And that's really interesting to me, what you've told me about them. So since you've been doing a lot of research into this group of people, can you tell me a little bit about who they were? Okay, so I'm going to start with the early history. You know, they have indigenous roots with uh, the Saponi tribe of Southern Virginia um, and, you know, Central North Carolina. Uh, There's a man named William Chavis who was indigenous. And he was granted land um, there in Granville County, and it was about 80 square miles is, is the, the amount of his land holdings. And that was a place for indigenous and free African-American people to uh, live. It was a sort of community. And so William had a son, Jordan Chavis. You know, William was very wealthy. So we talk about generational wealth, William's wealth. Uh, goes down to Jordan and uh, the rest of his siblings. And and Jordan owned an incredible amount of land in central North Carolina. I haven't figured out the exact reason why, but 
Jordan decided to move with his family, his wife, who was a Snelling, to Wilkes County in the in the Fair Plains Mulberry community. And along with Jordan and that Chavis family, a woman by the name of Molly Harris, who probably came from the same the same uh, area as well, you know, was the Harris name shows up in Granville County, uh, uh, took her children. She was a widower um, to Wilkes County at the same time period. Um, and those families sort of meshed together through um, certain circumstances. You know, Jordan's wife passed away. Um, pretty early on into their occupation of Wilkes County. And, and Jordan himself around this time started purchasing, you know, huge amounts of land. I haven't gone through all of it, but generally the land from Mulberry Fair Plains all the way to the Brushy Mountains on the, on, on the other side of the county. What have they done that stands out to you in your research? Like indigenous people and free African Americans owning that much land, you know, I would consider in this in that part of the state pretty abnormal, especially in our area. You know, with African American history, uh, a lot of that history is lost. But I'd like to talk about Jordan Chavis Jr., who was Jordan's son. He had a uh, pretty big impact on Wilkes County politics, and it's sort of a, a sad story. Jordan Jr. inherited his father's land. To, to go back just a little bit to add context, his father uh, you know, was in contact with some of the most influential people of the time, such as the Governor Stokes, uh, who was the governor of North Carolina, um, who lived in Wilkes County, uh, and, and John Finley, who was a very influential uh, businessman who, who sort of set up what we know as Wilkesboro. Molly, actually, when she passed away, the executive of her estate, um, which is really her farm, was John Finley. So they had pretty big ties within, you know, the upper echelon of society in Wilkes. And Jordan Jr. had those those ties. Jordan Jr. took his status, and 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 it's mentioned in a in a Greensboro paper. He he was involved in politics for the Republican Party. He, he had Union soldiers march him in to be able to vote, which is a really, really big deal for the county. And people, people didn't take too kindly of that. And so there were racial attacks on Jordan Chavis Jr. demeaning his character um, and, you know, sort of the beginning of that Jim Crow-esque attacks in newspapers, calling him very mean things that I would not repeat. And it's just very sad what was said about him because he was such a good man. And, you know, eventually that culminated into uh, Chavis having his uh, home burned down while he was working in the field and all of his money stolen and all of that wealth went away and was parceled off uh, by, by the local government um, to white individuals. So we've talked about a little bit of where Jordan Chavis came from, but how did the rest of the family get to Wilkes? What was their legacy here? So the you know talking about the Harrises, 
they came, you know, from that same area. The Harrises are linked to the Saponi and free African-Americans. Some, some of the same people that came out of the commun- community are also linked with the Lumbee tribe. The, the Harrises had a pretty large impact themselves, especially uh, Jehu Harris who was the son of Molly and actually married a, a daughter of Jordan. And they owned uh, the land and, and much more of what is now Camp Joe Harris Road. And Jehu himself uh, had a, had a, had a, a pretty um, big role in, the, uh, in you know, mapping out the county. He was a surveyor. And, and actually, uh, Jehu... Uh, Harris himself uh, was, it's reported that he drowned in the New River um, while, while on a survey expedition. So he had, he had a big part in surveying the county. And, and really those people set the bedrock for what the Harris-Chavis family would be like in Wilkes. And of course, the Chavis name died out with Jordan Chavis Jr. because he had no kids. That name, Harris Chavis, is really interesting to me, even though the last part of that name has sort of died out, as you were just mentioning. I want to know the story behind how it came to be. What? How did the two families merge? Jordan Chavis Sr., his wife, uh, I think her name was Latisse Snelling, um, she passed away early on. Um, And so uh, he took... A second wife. He was a widower, and then he married again. And uh, he took another wife, who was the the daughter of Molly Harris. So those families combined then, and then you know years later, Jehu, um, Molly's son, one of Molly's sons, uh, married uh, the daughter of uh, Jordan Chavis Senior. Um, and it was the daughter, you know, of his previous wife who had passed away before he married uh, the Harris daughter. And so the, the, the families combined through marriage. And that's why the, those names are put together in the early history. I know that we've talked before about them, about how they were a wide reaching family. You were talking about how they had reached from all the way down here to up in the mountains. And I, I want to know how they're reach and lineage plays into Wilkes today? Well, it plays, it plays a role um, in, a, in a big way. You know, you have uh, Camp Joe Harris Road where Harris's live, and so their land uh, uh, is still intact from that time period. You know, a lot of it was parceled away. One, one interesting aspect of that is that Jordan Chavis Sr. helped create a church um, in the Mulberry Fairplains community, um, and uh, that church is still standing today. It's uh, you know a little bit north uh, on, on, of Mulberry Elementary School as you go up Sparta Road, maybe a hundred yards um, north of Mulberry Elementary School, and, and, and really they set the bedrock for for later you know later generations to 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 thrive. Um, in Wilkes County and, and play a role in its history. And off the back of that, I've got to ask you this. Who's been the most interesting member of the family to research? I think it was Jordan Chavis Sr. And that's just because, you know, when you deep diving that deep into history, there's not really many 
Doc Wilkes. I found some of his land purchases. He he purchased land from John and Philadelphia Gordon, who were the aunt and uncle of James B. Gordon, who became the the highest ranking uh, uh, Confederate general from the state of North Carolina. And, and just going through that and really finding what, the family's roots, that was probably the most uh, interesting aspect of all of this research. Next up, can you tell me a little bit about how the families and Wilkes intertwine and how they started the influential path that they've taken? It goes back to the land holding. Um, you know, that, that really, that's very abnormal um, for the time period. And that allowed people like Jordan Chavis Sr. to put himself into the highest echelon of the social hierarchy of Wilkes County in the 1800s, the early 1800s. If we think about generational wealth, um, which a lot of that was taken um, during the Jim Crow era, which is incredibly delicate to talk about, it helps generations after him. And it also, I think, created a pretty incredible bond that that, that family has. They'll have a, a family reunion with hundreds of people that attend. They have a family reunion that has a board. You have scholars uh, in universities. You have Lady Sarah Lou Carter, um, Catherine Harris Barber, who helped establish the, the homeless shelter um, in Wilkes County. You know, African-Americans essentially were treated as second and third class citizens who, who, who did not have the same rights as us. Um, you know, that, that time period really, you know, destroyed what the family had built in the 17 and 1800s. But through all of that, they have remained and they have uh, produced uh, incredible people um, that uh, continue to do good things. And that looks like where we'll have to leave it for this week. I really enjoyed having Charles on and learning more about the history of Wilkes through the lens of some of the things that the Harris-Shavis family have done and the research Charles has put into it in order to be able to bring this type of knowledge to the podcast. I can't wait to cover more with him because not only is it really interesting, it's also incredibly fun. Thanks once again to Charles for virtually stopping by and you, of course, for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I'm really glad you could make it, and I hope you enjoyed the festivities. If you want to stay connected to the show, I'd invite you to pop on over to Facebook or Twitter and give the page a follow. Just search Ebone Zone on Facebook and Official EBZ on Twitter. If you're new, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next week, my friend, God bless you, stay humble, and remember, keep an ear out.